It's quite cold in New York City right now, so after our last episode, I went on vacation somewhere warm, and I took my surfboard. Only, because I'm relatively new to the sport of surfing, I didn't have a board bag to put it in before the flight. So, as one does, I turned to the internet, where I found a few people suggesting to wrap the board's rails, that's the sides, in pipe insulation, then cover the whole thing in bubble wrap. I went to the hardware store, bought pipe insulation, slid it down one side with an X-Acto knife, and fitted it around the surfboard. It worked like a charm, which got me thinking about all the other things you could protect with pipe insulation, like the corners of tables or bookshelves when you're moving, or small bottles of liquid that go into your check bag on a flight. The possibilities are kind of endless, and I'd never heard of this before. This episode, we have more useful tips inspired by what's going on in our lives and in the world. For example, the overflow at the Oroville Dam that forced the evacuation of almost 200,000 people convinced us we ought to know a lot more about how to protect a home in case of a flood. So we called Rachel Sears. Hi, good afternoon. The director of the Floodplain Management Division at FEMA for recommendations. After that, editorial assistant Katie McDonald, who is from Louisiana, tries to convince office curmudgeon Peter Martin that he should care about Mardi Gras. And the testing table tries out a brake light for a bike. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and you're listening to the most useful podcast ever. Part of the reason we wanted to get in touch with this is the most useful podcast ever, but we also pay attention to the news in addition to, you know, the kind of stuff that you want to do at your house. And uh, when we were reading about the situation at the Oroville Dam and people being displaced and, you know, I I was imagining, okay, having to leave my house, say, and and then just wondering how safe I would feel like it was leaving it behind. And I, I wondered what kind of tips you guys have or what kind of instructions you give people before they leave their house what to do you know should they close doors should they put sandbags out i mean do you do you guys give any tips like that we absolutely do um so let me start with the first part of your question about if it's imminent um what would you do so some of the things that we uh talk about are you know first of all um it's about safety it's about your personal safety so before you even concentrate on your home think closely about the safety of you and your loved ones right give yourself adequate time to uh to evacuate you know, you don't want to be driving through floodwaters. Um, you know, right, we have that to say, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, we, we use the phrase, turn around, don't drown. Uh, we mean that. Uh, you know, just six inches of moving water uh, can knock you down, and two feet of water can sweep your vehicle away. Six inches um, can knock a person down? Uh, yeah, six inches can knock you down, and two feet can move a full-size vehicle. Oh, my That's God. That's crazy. That's wild. Water is pretty powerful, though. We we just did this story on the FBI, and they sometimes use uh, explosively driven water to uh, to disarm bombs, which I had no idea. It's crazy. Yes, indeed. Yeah, floodwaters have a tremendous force, um, both to uh, both to people, but to, to structures as well. Um, if there's a chance of flash flooding, you want to move immediately to higher ground. You know, flash floodings are the number one cause of weather-related deaths in the U.S. Wow! Wow! I did I, not know that. No. Um, okay, so don't drive through floodwaters. Uh, don't walk through them if they're six inches high. Uh, what else? So if, if the flooding is imminent, though, and you do have time to do some preparedness, then, um, you know, you want to think about things like bringing in outdoor furniture. You know, um, you can even move the important items um, in your house to the highest floor possible. So if you have, a, you know, if you have a second floor, move some of those higher value items and, you know, the more sentimental items to higher ground. 
Um, if you do not have um, standing water, um, disconnect electrical appliances, but you don't want to touch electrical equipment if you're wet or if you're standing in water, right, because you could be electrocuted. Um, Listen to the local officials. You know, if you're instructed, turn off your gas and electricity at the main switch or valve. Um, You know, this can help prevent fires and explosions. Um, I'm sure you've seen on on the news where even in floodwaters, you can see houses and and, um, other electrical mechanical equipment that's on fire in a Mm -hmm, flood. mm Mm-hmm. There was one uh, earlier this year where it was a house that was on fire and floating down floodwaters. And I was like, how does that even happen? Yes, indeed. I believe that was in West Virginia. Yeah. And, you know, utilities like gas lines and stuff, um, you know, can cause explosions when um, structures are ripped off their foundation. Okay. And so then uh, what about more, um, I guess, more in advance, you know, if you buy a house or something like that? Yeah, I was, I was just reading that uh, here in New York, um, just with the <laughs> concerns about sea level rise, that a lot of buildings are starting to reconfigure where they put mechanical functions to keep them above potential floodwaters. And I was sort of curious what the com- comparable thing to do would be if you're a homeowner. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I would say for the average homeowner, um, if you're in the market for a new home, uh, before you buy, learn your flood risk. You know, most of us would take the time to research the school district for the property we're considering purchasing, um, whether or not we have kids, right, because it affects the value of the property. So do the same for flood risk. You know, find out before you buy, you know, if your potential home's located in a flood zone, um, talk to a local flood insurance agent. Um, you know, we're very much uh, in the business here of, uh, you know, not just uh, – um, in not, not just uh, mitigating your property, but also mitigating your financial risk. And the way that we, uh, we talk about that is through uh, the purchase of flood insurance. Uh, so you want to know, you know, what is your flood, uh, what is your flood risk? Um, is flood insurance available for your home? And ask your realtor, your insurance agent, even your local code administrator is going to know about that property's flood status before closing. So that's the first thing you can do is just learn about your flood risk. Once you do have that property, you know, if you've, if you've already purchased it or, um, you know, you're going to purchase a home in a flood zone. Um, you know, the retrofits can be a bit expensive. Um, the primary risk is going to be to that habitable floor, the first floor. Um, so there's, if you're going to involve that kind of major structural change, you know, that's going to require building permits from your local officials, and you're going to need to be working with a building or design professional in order to do that. Um, but as you mentioned, the average homeowner can certainly do a lot um, with respect to the electrical, the mechanical, the HVAC. You can build uh, platforms in the basement uh, to try to raise those above um, the flood levels. Yeah, or outside, like think in a coastal area where you can build a platform that's outside of your house for that um, air conditioning unit and put that platform up on that first level where you can have that air conditioning. And that protects your property as well as um, those air conditioners that can become debris when you think of a storm surge um, uh, coming on land. Mm, right, our, that's a good idea. I was just going to say that, you know, our our audience they build a lot of things themselves. And I was just curious, you know, if you have property and you're building your own home, are there certain, like on that first floor, are there certain materials or uh, methods of construction that tend to be more resilient to floodwaters? There absolutely are. Um, we even refer to them as uh, flood damage resistant materials. You know, we've worked with the Army Corps of Engineers. We've conducted studies in the past. Um, so we have a whole list of uh, the types of materials that could be used. Um, the basic idea here is to use materials that with the minimum amount of cosmetic repairs um, can be quickly uh, brought back to use. You know, that think concrete blocks or other type of um, materials like tiles and stuff that you could quickly hose down. What is the most common out? 
outcome, I've always wondered this, when a flood comes through an area, is it, uh, it are most houses swept off their foundations? Is it more that there's just water damage and they, the houses have rot in them and have to be taken down? Um, is it possible to dry the houses out? What What do you see? I mean, how, how, how does that break down? So honestly, it's um, it varies uh, heavily. It depends um, largely on um, when the houses were built in those communities. Um, so if you have a community that's had floodplain management measures in place for quite some time or has building codes um, where they've been addressing this flood risk for new construction um, over years, uh, then um, those structures are designed to withstand those flood events. Uh, so, you know, if you're in a newer coastal community that has a, a lot of newer homes, um, you know, you may see those lower uh, areas that have um, uh, have had have, have walls in that lower area that have broken away and there's some debris around them, but the structure is is structurally sound and it can be repaired with um, you know with minimal effort and um, is ready to be ha- habitable again. If you're dealing with an older community that was built you know perhaps in the 1950s, uh, you know the even the turn of the century, then um, those homes often are you know they're slab on grade. Um, and uh, that's where you run into a, a lot more damage, and, you know, you start to get four or five feet of water in there, and, you know, the entire walls have to be replaced, all of the cabinetry has to be replaced, and that's where you get into um, some significant flood damage. Uh, so, you know, again, from our perspective, when you live in those older type of homes that can sustain so much damage with uh, with a relatively few feet of water, that's really where we push the, um, the notion of purchasing flood insurance um, so that you have those financial resources to be able to to remove the, that damaged materials as quickly as possible and are able to get file a claim and get uh, funds so that you can quickly replace that. Because when you don't have those financial uh, resources, as you mentioned, and you have, to, you have to figure out how you're going to pay for those, then that's where you get in the issue of mold when you have those sort of things that are, um, that are sitting there unrepaired. So mm-hmm. flood insurance gives you that tool to be able to remove that damaged stuff and, um, and be able to make those repairs uh, quickly. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, how to read a floodplain map, like if you are a homeowner that wants to know about the region where they're buying a house. But also you always hear like 10-year floods, 100-year floods. And I was wondering if you just have like an easy explanation for that, because I find that stuff kind of confusing. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it, 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 it is a bit confusing. Um, I mean, so we, taught, we use words like, um, like 10-year flood, 50-year flood, 100-year flood. Um, those are actually a, a bit of a misnomer. What we're trying to talk about are um, the probability um, of a flood occurring. So a 10-year flood would be there's a, uh, a 1 in 10% chance of a flood occurring in any given year. A 100-year flood is there's a 1 in 100%, I'm sorry, a 1 in 100-year chance of flood occurring in any given year. Of course, if you live in your home 30 years, think about that compounded probability and how much risk you might actually be in. Um, but those are probable floods. Um, you know, uh, the, as we like to say, the water doesn't read statistics and, and it doesn't pay attention to maps. <laughs> <laughs> so larger floods can and do occur. So when you're looking online, and, and FEMA has, uh, has our, uh, our flood maps online, um, when you look at those, you will see um, what is called the 100-year flood or that, that 1 in 100. Uh, year chan- uh, chance of, uh, of flooding, and it'll also have a 500-year flood. Uh, but know that um, many, many floods occur outside of those as well. Right. If you wanted to see, if our listeners wanted to see all of this information on on your website, would they just was it FEMA.org or uh, FEMA.gov? And yeah. in the search button, um, type in flood maps. 
Okay. And you should be able to go to our um, flood map service center. That's great. Um, just one more question from from me. Uh, so I grew up in Florida, actually, <laughs> and we're like big flood people Very flood here. Prone. Yeah, 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 flood prone people. Um, and so I had a lot of friends who've had uh, hurricane issues, and I know when that would happen, there was always a question of whether the damage was from the flood or from wind, and uh, and the wind insurance and the flood insurance would kind of fight over who would pay for uh, house damage. Do you have any sense of uh, how that works? People should just get both and then let the insurance companies fight it out when it happens? Uh, so, yeah, so homeowner's insurance does not cover flood insurance. Uh, so homeowner's insurance is, uh, often does cover the wind insurance, although some, some um, states do have state wind pools as well. But regardless of the type of insurance you have, um, what will happen after a disaster is um, each, of you, each of your um, agents, um, and if you have it with the same company, they'll send out adjusters um, that will look at both the wind and the flood. But I will tell you, FEMA has been very proactive in recent years um, working, um, setting up joint offices in a disaster to help coordinate those wind and flood claims. Um, it's been an issue in Florida. It's been an issue um, in Louisiana, and it's something we're trying very hard to help um, our policyholders and our customers uh, with is to make sure that we're coordinating those claims to make sure the policyholders get everything they're entitled to. That's great. Yeah, it's great you guys are out there. Actually, I actually have one last question. Just going back to uh, you know what's happening around the Orville Dam right now. Uh, there was a there was an evacuation order, and then I I think last I read this morning they had rescinded that order, so you could go back, but they said you know there's still a chance that an order could be put back in place. And I was just wondering if you had advice for a scenario where there's not an official order to evacuate. Um, if you have any advice on how to evaluate if it is time to clear out, even if you're not you know being forced to. Oh boy, that's a great question. Um, I, I mean, you know, that's always a personal call um, in terms of, uh, you know, the risks you're willing to take. I mean, uh, you know, our, our main line is to always um, listen to what authorities say is safe to do. Um, but, you know, some of the considerations uh, in, in terms of what I would consider uh, if I were choosing to evacuate or not on a voluntary basis is, uh, you know, who's with me? Um, do I have um, elderly relatives with me? Do I have children with me that I want to, you know, that I know that it will take a bit more time? Um, how much time uh, will it take me to uh, to get out of an area? Um, what are the um, what's the risk between me and a safe area? So you know if it's uh, if it's a, a small amount of water, if I know it's going to be that deeper water again, two feet of water can sweep you out of your vehicle. If I think the water is going to be higher than that, then um, I'm a very risk averse person. So I would leave early and I would uh, um, I would probably seek higher ground. Yeah. Probably a good job for you to work at FEMA if you're a risk averse person. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, well, good luck with everything that's going on right now. And uh, obviously, best of luck to everyone who's living around the Oroville Dam and the repairs that are going on there. Yeah. And uh, I encourage uh, all of your listeners to, uh, to go to ready.gov and learn about personal preparedness. That sounds great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you for talking to us. So the name of this segment is Can Office Southerner Katie McDonald of Lafayette, Louisiana, make office curmudgeon Peter Martin <laughs> of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, care about Mardi Gras enough to go? Specifically Mardi Gras in New Orleans, though. 
because there are other Mardi Gras celebrations. But that's the only one that matters. I mean, not that this one even matters, but that's the only <laughs> one that exists to I most mean, people in the country. I think people in Mobile, Alabama would be really offended by that because they were the first ones. Yeah. Uh, what were you going to say? Hey, there's can, a fact. Yeah, can I buzz that one? <laughs> Don't care. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Mobile. But, but, okay, so Mardi Gras is actually a day. The season is carnival season. So I bring a king cake into our office during carnival. Yeah, you made sure you did it while I was on vacation. <laughs> I, that was not intentional. It was great. I should had have piece. Back- <laughs> Yeah, he had like four pieces. I had three. Three. <laughs> um substantial pieces (laughs) he kept going back (laughs) he's like i'm just checking on it um so yeah carnival season starts um actually right after christmas ends so on january 6th uh is that when christmas ends oh it is 12 days of christmas (laughs) oh i see oh really yeah christmas is the first day wait do you care about this yeah do you care i mean christmas ends on the 25th no it doesn't christmas day ends on the 25th there's actually a There's Seasons one? Greetings lights up in Williamsburg oh, still. Oh, yeah. It's terrible. <laughs> They're not that. even trying down there. It's a different season now. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's now, it's carnival season. That's, that's right. That's probably what it is. And um, so, yeah, parades start about two weeks before actual Mardi Gras. Um, when do the beads happen? Because I don't think I care about the parts that aren't. No, well, that's, that's where, and during parades, that's whenever um, the crew members throw beads. And this is Cruz with a K. This is Cruz oh, yeah? with a K. K. That's interesting. Different spellings. So I don't it, care about Mardi Gras. I just care it about is K R E W E S. Cruz. 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 And yeah, so a crew, Mardi Gras crews are kind of like clubs. Um, some of them are secret members. Some of them, you're laughing. That's it's, so lame. I mean, <laughs> they wear masks. You have to wear a mask on a parade float. It's illegal. That's, what happens oh, if you don't? I didn't know that. You can be arrested. Has no. anyone ever been arrested for not wearing a mask on a? I don't know about that, but <laughs> it seems like I mean, there are police everywhere during Especially Mardi Gras. Especially during Mardi Gras, there should be better things to there's arrest people for than one hundred percent. Somebody is committing a more serious crime at any time <laughs> right. during Mardi Gras. Look, I'm Probably just in saying. Probably the same sight line as the person <laughs> who's not wearing the mask. What if? I'm yeah. Not, what if you urinate publicly? Wow. <laughs> you have a mask oh, on. you will get you will get a ticket. Spoken from experience. That would be an interesting. <laughs> oh, if uh, that if that were a Mardi Gras fact, the bell would be dinging. The fact that Katie got busted for indecent. Exposure, yeah. indecent in public decent urination. Public bathroom no, public but actually, it is really hard to use the bathroom during Mardi Gras. <laughs> like, you, there are apps dedicated to where you could find one, and people charge like $15 for a wristband to use it all day. Like, if you're in the vicinity, because, like, the thing oh, is. All right, because you can drink outside. Yes. You can but drink you can't outside. pee outside. No, that, that would be terrible. rude. There's astronaut diapers. Because these are people. No, these are people's <laughs> homes <laughs> that you're in front of. Like, imagine if someone peed on your lawn. Yeah, it's no good. It, I mean, they no, are. I have... went to college, so I have seen people pee on my lawn, unfortunately. <laughs> well, and yeah, I guess you're signing up for it if you're living off St. Right, Charles. Give me Avenue. some facts. Okay. Um, one fact that about Mardi Gras is that there are about 1.4 million people who attend Mardi Gras every year. So that like triples the size of New Orleans um, with tourists, and. I know that you don't find that interesting. <laughs> that's a lot I think of people. That, I think that's a fail at making Peter care about Mardi Gras. I don't. I mean, honestly, this like this is an unfair test for you too. I have a it's very kind harsh of hard because just of this. Mardi Gras is fun. Like, yeah, it's I don't just, care for things with joy. Yeah, that, yeah that's he does true. Hate fun. What about pastries? I'm into the king cake. The king cake. Yeah, okay, I feel like that's so your... for those who don't know, king cake is uh, something that is made during that served during Mardi Gras. Um, it is usually cinnamon flavored. Tastes a lot like a donut. 
At well, least the one that Katie's brought in. Yeah. So there are regional differences between king cakes. Um, in my hometown, they always put fillings. So I always request the amaretto walnut filling. Ooh. It's delicious. Uh, from Keller's Bakery. But in New Orleans, they're very snobby about their king cake. And it has to be cinnamon flavored. And it has a ton of icing. And I like the icing. That's what I think. That sounds fun. great. My, yeah. the, the one I bring in does not. It's, it's definitely saw, more of a Danish. I saw a photo of it. And I was like, where's the icing? No. <laughs> You're glad you weren't here. I was glad. Um, so the thing about Mardi Gras king cakes, though, no matter what they taste like, they all have purple, green, and gold. Uh, either sprinkles or icing. Uh, the purple stands for justice, the gold stands for power, and the green stands for faith. Um, and there is usually a plastic or ceramic baby <laughs> hidden in the king cake. Um, they used size. to be they used to be baked in the king cake, but they were a choking hazard. <laughs> so um, why would not baking it in there? I guess you stuff it in from the because then someone knows where it is versus no oh. one knowing where it is. Um, well, the king cake was also very thin. Well, that one was thin, some but of some fatter. of them are not. Like, the things that are consistent with king cakes is that they are a circle, that they have purple, green, and gold on them, and that they have a baby inside. And the baby stands for... <laughs> There's a great joke to be made there that's probably... I know, right. And where's just the punchline? Like, um, <laughs> yeah, just, no, that, just was, like, that was just a genuine Just fact. like Beyonce. <laughs> purple, green, and gold in yeah. that, those pictures? Yeah. yeah. Two babies inside. Yeah. Beyonce's mom's from Louisiana. She's not circular. Well, her she's belly? about to be she's with, round. Belly is kind of with she's the pretty, babies. Yeah, she's pretty round. But um, so there, there you have it. You learned it here, Beyonce, <laughs> just like a king cake, except with two babies. I feel like she would be honored and by that comparison. Everyone loves king cake, and everyone loves Beyonce. Which do you care about more, Beyonce or Mardi Gras? I would say Mardi Gras because Mardi Gras comes with the donut cake. Do you have to parade? To well, enjoy that's what Mardi I was Gras? going to say. Um, earlier in the season, it's like parades you know they have a start time end time but like the weekend of before mardi gras fat tuesday it's a continuous roll of parades like they are just it's for hours so typically you'll go to someone's house and they'll have a party so like that's where you'll have king cake or someone's made jambalaya or gumbo or like the weather is typically not that cold um around this time Ever. well i mean right i looked at the weather today and it's 60 Later this week, it's supposed to be 75. So it, it is technically gumbo season. Um, <laughs> it's a temperature-based season? It is. You, you, eat, have a you lot eat gumbo whenever it's cold. Why? Because it's, it's comforting Filling. and warm. It's, I, it, I think you're making a lot of – you guys have a lot of seasons down there. And a lot of seasonings. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we're so excited wow. to, to get that wow. one. Um, I don't like the mocking. I thought this was be, like just the podcast. There will about. be no, there will be no puns on this podcast. Um, no, that's me. <laughs> uh, okay, so Peter Martin can get it, can get into it for the food. Uh, what yeah. about any like actual like cleanup stats or crazy yeah. kind of? Oh, yeah, that's kind of nuts because it happens so quickly. So the thing is, is that whenever people are throwing things from the floats things things being beads cups doublooms stuffed Wait, animals doublooms doublooms they're like little they look like coins um okay like I spanish doubloons yeah kind of i okay. just thought that that was a normal thing to know but i are they real coins or are they chocolate no. coins no they're not chocolate oh. don't eat anything that jewish holidays off. are better because they the coins are chocolate <laughs> their oh. coins are chocolate well yeah. that's cool we have king cake and um <laughs> That's better than most Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> so whenever people are throwing things off of the floats, 
like there's no trash can for them to throw like the beads come in bags or they have like um normally there's a lot of plastic actually i don't i think i don't know why um but they just throw them off the side and beads that break or beads that people don't catch they fall on the street too and so it's like when the a crew has left um it's so much trash like uh i found a stat because i was curious they said that certain like people who pick up trash depending on the parade it can be from 50 to 100 tons of trash per night that's insane that's a lot of trash interesting that's around your oh is that a ding 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 (laughs) ding 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 ding. peter martin finds that interesting yeah and so i was also looking into it and Actually, New Orleans uh, Department of Sanitation is very small. They hire out people specifically for Mardi Gras. Like 600 people they, um, are hired every Mardi Gras season to pick up. And people in New Orleans, they want their fun, but they also want their clean streets. Like, they have to be clean the next day. Wow. Um, so they clean them... You just know. for another parade to happen again. What are they? Yeah. Just, they pressure wash them in the bags? They do pressure they... wash. Oh. Uh, well, they don't pressure that wash them in the fun. bags. They have, that does sound fun. They have um, seven front-end loaders, 30 garbage trucks and dump trucks. Um, they do spray. Uh, they have a, a flusher that sprays 3,000 gallons of water. Wow. With high pressure. So for a long time, this was kept at a low cost because Louisiana used prisoners to clean the streets. Whoa. But recently, they've started hiring people at $10.10 an hour. Hey, they so, decided it was unethical to make <laughs> prisoners clean up drug people's piss. I mean, you, I'm just saying. Do you think that Louisiana cares about ethics? Not, <laughs> I can say that. I am from there. Peter, be quiet. <laughs> I, I have no thoughts on that. Um, That's fun. The prisoners thing. More facts. I'm into this. I mean, ah, he yeah. likes it. He likes yeah. the facts. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> don't talk to him about, st- don't, forget the whole thing she said about fun. It's not fun. It's not fun at but all. There are lots it's of prisoners about, picking up trash. That's, that's what Mardi Gras is. So as a person who's never been to Mardi Gras, how does a man or someone who is modest Oh my God, beads? I hate. Uh, that's, that's all I know about it. No, like I know. And it's annoying. go down and they throw beads when, like. But that's not, that, that's not what Mardi Gras actually is. So the, the flashing thing is not real. Number one. No, I think no, that's also real. That's only in the French Quarter and bo- on Bourbon Street, and it's all tourists doing it. It's really? not. It's not people from New Orleans. They go to. Well, that makes sense though, if your family goes down. To no, the thing. Mardi Gras is a per- like a family thing. It like I've been going to Mardi Gras since I was a baby. People have their little kids so out there. So you don't there. have to cover your kids' eyes if no. you're walking through Mardi Gras. No, you don't have to lift up your shirt to catch beads. All you have to do is say, "Throw me something, Mister." And what if it's a lady throwing beads? Throw me something, Mrs. Okay. Really? Mrs. not like sir or ma'am? No. Uh, no, 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 no. Like you would, I mean, and sometimes you don't even need to finish the phrase. You'll just like, throw me something. <laughs> and uh, and like people make signs that like say right. funny things on them or people will like, so this is something I didn't realize was weird until I was researching this, that like people make, they buy ladders and they decorate them and they like, build little boxes on them for kids to sit in so they can see the parades. Mm-hmm. And then at the, at the bottom of the... Uh, <laughs> thanks, Peter. Um, but then they also put little wheels on them so you can like cart everything to and from the parade grounds. Oh. Um, so yeah, it's that like everyone watches it. It's not just for young college people who want to get drunk. Yeah, I just imagine this disgusting outdoor party. Um, no. 
that would with be 150 tons of trash a night. I, I will say that it was I 50 think, to 100. <laughs> I think Bourbon Street does get that way. No, it does. I think that that is true. Don't for bring your a, child for, there for a portion of it. Um, but that's like not even the majority. Like the super crews don't go through there. Yes, there's things Wait, called what's super crews. Super crew. There are three super crews. They are Orpheus, Endymion, and Bacchus, and those are like the gigantic floats with. Do they dance like a dance crew? Because that would be cool. There are dance crews. Um, so that's actually been a recent trend. Like before, so it was float, high school marching band, float, high school marching band, which they're amazing. And I totally am in awe of those little children who. Drum lines. Drum yeah, lines like, no, the they best. carry these heavy things for like hundreds of miles um, over the course of all of Mardi Gras. But lately, they've been having these like dance crews in between. The parades. Mm-hmm. I've seen like, those on the uh, the Thanksgiving Day parade as well. Yeah, yeah, they're yeah, fun. Yeah, they're fun. Never and watched a parade, luckily. Oh, uh, I feel like it's not Thanksgiving unless I, I don't even really watch it. I just have it on because yeah. then it sounds like Thanksgiving. I've never yeah. watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day oh. parade. I just don't understand watching a parade and not catching anything. Like, <laughs> I feel throw me something, Mister. Throw me like, something. It just Mr. feels boring. And then, the, then the television's like, I can't hear you because <laughs> I'm a television. <laughs> I don't know, but um, but yeah, so. That's in addition to catching things, um, eating things, drinking things. That's kind of Mardi Gras. Peter Martin, do you feel like you care about Mardi Gras? I liked some of those facts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's well, great. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure going. Other people, I see that other people enjoy it. I can see that other people <laughs> might enjoy such a thing. I just it is it is based around something I don't care for, which is a parade. And oh, I thought you were going to say religion. So. Uh, I'm, <laughs> No, it's not like a religious thing now. I just hate parades. I can't imagine watching anything in a parade. And it is religious, though. That's boring. That's like, I think, something that's hard to describe um, because people, it is very secular, but it's all because Lent is starting. You are going crazy just because it out? you're about to give up stuff for 40 days. Chocolate. Well, that's the thing, right? Fat Tuesday is the day before Ash Wednesday, which yes. is the first day of Lent. Um, the last fact that I'd like to be impressed by, what is Katie McDonald giving up for Lent? Oh, I haven't decided if I want to do Can that. Can Jackie and I decide? Yes. <laughs> is it talking positively about Louisiana? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, does that bother you? No. <laughs> oh, so did you decide on what I'm giving up? That was so short. We need more time to make it more painful. Uh, what I, think if it, the, I think you should come up with it because you're going to be a lot meaner than I am. I'm such a nice person at heart. Lynn is not supposed to be about <laughs> being mean to people. Sure it is. <laughs> sure it is. Jackie gave up being nice for, for pre-Lent. So. I gave that up for pretty much ever. No, okay. Thanks, um, guys. Matt Allen, our resident exerciser and beer drinker, is here again. Uh, this time, less fun because we're not drinking. But uh, I gotta go get a beer. We got the fridge is full. It's a little early for beer. Mm-hmm. Huh? All right. <laughs> um, so, what did you? What, you're like a you're a cyclist. You're like a commuter cyclist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this actually is something that I'm very interested in because I have bike light issues. The minute it starts getting, I, I'll ride my bike when it's light all day and light on my way home. The minute it starts getting dark in the evenings and I don't have a bike light for it. I freak out and I don't know what to do and all this stuff. So uh, this new bike light is cool. It is, yeah. What I've, does it uh, do? The main thing it does, and it's surprising nobody else really thought of this, is they put a little accelerometer into this uh, rear this rear light, so like the red blinky kind. Okay. And on uh, four of the five settings, when you start to slow down, it increases brightness. 
And so it acts as wow. a brake light. That's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's, it is crazy that no one's thought of it. It's, what is the company that does this? It's, uh, it's the FLR30 from Fabric. Uh, it's a UK-based company, but they're owned by the same U.S. company that uh, has like Cannondale and Schwinn and a bunch of other brands. Okay. Uh, the, and the, the light, is, I should say, is 40 bucks. It's 40 bucks. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is not that, I mean, it's not unusual. I've, I've bought similar, U, is it USB charging? Yeah, it's USB chargeable, yeah. no batteries. Um, you know, it's good for several rides. Uh, you know, you can get a good light down to $20, $30, but they don't light up like this. So it's, a, I'd call it a mid-range uh, rear bike light. Right. Option. It's not like top of the line rear it's bike light. It's not super duper bright. Do you know what else I've seen? Uh, and these seem very complicated to install maybe but uh are the wheels that light up do you yeah. know what i'm talking about what i like, do what are the what do you think of those they seem very complicated to install <laughs> so i don't bother this this just has like a rubber band uh like big dirt, hefty one that you just put around uh your seat post your bike frame your helmet wherever you want okay. uh so it's, it just comes on and off really really easy and you've tested it mm-hmm. how did it work what'd you think I th- it was good i mean you can uh so like just light it up and uh, well, so just reasonably bright, yeah. but not the brightest. But then you seen. sort of smack it down and you see it lights up. And it also has, so you can do solid light or blinky light. Um, and when it's blinking and you slow it down, it just does a solid red light. Oh, wait, I want to see. Oh, it just did it. Yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then it holds it for like a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite setting actually for the day is that you can have it so it looks like it's off and it only turns on when you. Uh, oh, when you brake. Yeah. And then you just have that on during the day like a car. Yeah. Yeah. It is kind of crazy to think that bikes, you know, you share the lane with cars and mm-hmm. you do a lot of the same things, but there's no brake light on it. I mean, that seems like it would be useful. I, I guess a lot of cyclists don't get hit behind, from behind, though. That's not really a big... Oh, you know, we get hit from all over. But <laughs> that's I, like I usually keep lights on during the day for that reason. Okay, mm-hmm. for that. That's yeah, I mean, idea. just, you know, something to get noticed. My problem with bike lights is... I forget to charge them or mm-hmm. I like, I hate having to always take it off my bike because somebody's going to steal it if you leave it on your bike. Is there something that you can get that's built in but unstealable that you could just leave on your bike? Yeah, there are other ones um, that have mounts that like screw on and then the light just sort of pops in and out of the mount. Oh, that's a good idea. This guy comes on and off pretty quickly, uh, yeah. so I don't mind that. Um, also, you know... It, here at Hearst, we can like park our bikes inside. So, so then I've, you're fine. Yeah, and then I'm, then I'm fine. Right. Uh, and for the record, I've, you know, knock on wood, never had a bike light stolen when I have left it on. Oh, okay. So. I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're going to, if you're the kind of person that's going to steal bike bits, you're going to steal the more, the ones that are more lucrative. Yeah, yeah. Like how much are you going to get for a, a stolen bike light? Mm. Five dollars. What's the, what's the stolen bike light mark, market? I don't know. Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you don't see those at flea markets where all, where all the stolen bikes are going to be. Yeah, so, no, you yeah. don't. Are those at flea markets? Is that where they put them? Yeah, that's a whole other story, though. (laughs) That's for our deeper investigative piece. Mm -hmm. Um, So what kind of bike lights do you have right now, and would you buy this instead Uh, of that? So, yeah, you know, I've been testing bikes and bike gear for six, seven, eight years. Right. Uh, So I've amassed many and, and, uh, you know, tried, like, $150 rear lights and stuff like that. Oh, my God. Yes, very fancy. Uh, This is one... Um, it's hard for me to say because I, would have, I have so many, but I would recommend a friend buy it. Like if I had a friend okay. said, hey, I need to get some bike, uh, some lights for my bike, I would say get this for the back of your bike. Okay. Uh, it's also, it's, I should say it's very small. Uh, I don't, what do you think? It's like pack, it's of, like gu- a, pack of gum size. It's like a pack of gum, yeah. Uh, so it like, fits in your pocket really easily. Right. Um, you know, easy to put on. So all around convenience gets an A+, and then uh, the, the braking light is pretty unique and awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, I would buy it myself, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. And I'm a... I'm an occasional commuter, but I'm enough of a commuter that I would buy that, I think. Cool. So I'm pro. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, don't get hit by any cars. I won't.
So that's our show. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. And if you want to read more of Popular Mechanics' coverage of the situation at the Oroville Dam, check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.